0: So an evolutionary perspective can help us see that some of the pathology that we as psychiatrists are calling pathological isn't really bad, and it's better understood as an adaptation to a harsh environment, for example, not trusting anybody.
1: Hi, I'm Adam Hunt, and this is the Evolving Psychiatry Podcast, rethinking mental health through an evolutionary lens. Share it with the people who matter, like it if you like it, subscribe if you want to hear more. Dr. Anna Swanepoel is a child and adolescent psychiatrist who also holds a PhD in human physiology. She is the author and co-author of many articles in evolutionary psychiatry and became interested in evolutionary science when she learned about attachment theory. She's currently the editor of the EPSIG newsletter, and she wrote two chapters in the forthcoming volume on evolutionary psychiatry by Cambridge University Press. So today we're talking about chapter 14, Evolutionary Perspectives on Childhood Trauma, Um, Childhood trauma is obviously a very difficult topic. Um, we have a very strong aversion and condemnation of all forms of childhood trauma, of course. Um, but the chapter is really interesting because you note that uh, the abuse and neglect that we see relatives carry out on each other, um, to understand it, an evolutionary perspective can really can really help. Um, so I, I I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about how uh, acts of abuse and neglect kind of how we should think about them from an evolutionary perspective.
0: Yes, it's a very emotive topic. Um, And in this chapter, we actually focused on mothers. So why would mothers abuse their own children? And we thought that if we can understand that, uh, we can understand a lot because it is so counterintuitive. Why, Why would that happen? And... One of the main reasons is that the way we think about mothers as love towards infants having evolved to be unconditional and um, always there for each infant is just not true, it's not realistic. So if we look at anthropological research, we can see that maternal love has evolved to be highly dependent on contextual factors so that a mother who has got lots of resources are we are thinking both emotional and physical resources will be much better in a much better position to be able to provide indulgent care to her child. Whereas mothers who are stressed um, because they don't have support or because the baby is ill or because they have lots of older children to look after just won't have the same um, ability to look after the child even even with the best will in the world. So there's a trade-off between what's best for the child. So for the child always best is to receive warm, sensitive, indulgent care. But that's not always possible because the mother has to calibrate her response based on what, uh, what else she has to do. And a common um, occurrence we see uh, is that because um, children are weaned, human children are weaned much more much earlier than primates. It means that mothers have to care for several children before they are able to, to look after themselves because there are shorter interbirth intervals. And that then means that typically the, where, where we in anthropological research see problems is when an older child is still breastfeeding and then a newborn is uh, born where the mother then can't provide for both of them. And the other thing to consider is that in anthropological research, we can we know that in our past, between 30 and 60% of all children died before reaching adulthood. Mm. So it was um, a very different situation to how it is now, and mothers had to, to calibrate their responses. And something to keep in mind is we are all the descendants of mothers who did whatever it took. To at least leave some surviving children.
1: It's very different to today, where you have one or two children and you put everything into those children. Uh, yeah, obviously that was just never possible, and you couldn't rely on those children surviving, even if you did pour everything into them. So, yeah, it's um, it's very interesting. And and the the podcast episode I did with Danny, Danielle Asif also talked about this um, quite a lot. So. Uh, but one thing that you go on to in your in your chapter, which Daniela didn't didn't really touch on, is uh, the the reactions to trauma. Um, you know, we we often see that trauma causes you know all sorts of psychological problems or things we diagnose as disorders um, in later life. Um, but what's interesting about an evolutionary perspective. Is perhaps that rather than saying that this is simple dysfunction and that the child has been broken by the mother, um, that it's somewhat more of a natural response to that sort of um, Mm -hmm. early life experience. Um, So could you talk a little bit about that, like what an evolutionary perspective has to say about the kind of psychological effects of trauma? um.
0: Yeah, so um, absolutely, because evolution hasn't just allowed us to be able to respond to the optimum. So babies have evolved to be able to cope with non-perfect care and attachment theory is a brilliant way of looking at it, um, which if we look at the whole spectrum of maternal love, uh, it varies from indulgent care, so which I spoke about previously, um, and that we would say leads to a secure attachment in the baby where the baby trusts Um, And and that is a really uh, adaptive way of being in a benign environment. Hmm. But something which I think very few people realize is that having a secure attachment is actually not adaptive and might be really detrimental in a harsh environment, because Mm. if babies trust or or children or, or adults who have a secure attachment trust people who are untrustworthy, they might be exploited and might be naive. So if we look at it from the other side, if a child grows up in a harsh environment, And they learn that there are again different options from an attachment point of view, they might become compulsively self reliant, like with an avoidant attachment, and not expect any help, which is uh, adaptive when no help is forthcoming. So then it doesn't make sense to be asking for help if you're not going to get any. And then the third category is the anxious ambivalent one where mothers might where mothers are ambivalent and preoccupied and these children might then be extremely clingy and up their attachment signals by crying and whining in order to force the mother to give them more attention, um, which they need and which the mother is able to provide when given those signals. But I think from a psychiatric perspective, in terms of pathology, what we see is the unresolved category in the adult or the disorganized category in the child. And that is where children grow up with a fearful or frightening caregiver. And that is where um, abuse also often occurs, not always, but often. And these children can grow up with with a disorganized category uh, of of attachment. But what's what's really interesting about that is that 90% of psychiatric patients have got a disorganized attachment. And Sarah Herdy in the past used to say that, probably in the past, if children were being looked after by by parents or or a mother who was abusing them, they they wouldn't have survived. Hmm. And so that this is perhaps not something from an evolutionary perspective, which which is adaptive. But other thinkers like Hultigan has um, thought that it's not quite like that because for children to to become really fearful to, for example, have a freeze response might be adaptive and might help them to survive really traumatic uh, situations. But what we are seeing now is that children are surviving who who perhaps wouldn't have in the past, um, but trauma, as we know with post-traumatic stress disorder, the symptoms we have of hypervigilance just being on edge the whole time, expecting something bad to happen, Um, avoidance of reminders, so avoidance of anything similar to that, and re-experiencing of the trauma, just keeping it fresh in mind, might be adaptive in a situation where this is um, in a dangerous environment, for example, um, in nature, if people... Had, had had a bad experience with a snake and are then always careful it might mm. actually save their lives so an evolutionary perspective can help us see that some of the pathology that we as psychiatrists are calling pathological isn't really bad and it's better understood as an adaptation to a harsh environment for example not trusting anybody and that, and that can become difficult then because even though it was true in childhood, later right. on in therapy, for example, where there is a trustworthy person, there's then this double deprivation. So where people deprive themselves of something which could have helped them based on their past experience, that people aren't trustworthy.
1: Right. So, so you're leading on to my last question here, which is, um, yeah, how how does this perspective Help us in in therapy and prevention um you know how does it alter how we think about childhood trauma um is it, it does it mean that we have to think about these things from a public health perspective is there something that a, a clinician can kind of do that's um you know evolution informed um you know can can people see themselves in a different way um you know how do you think evolutionary psychiatry can kind of add something to this um, to this big problem
0: well, I think um, all of the things you've mentioned are true. Right.
1: <laughs> Do it all, <laughs> so yes.
0: I think for, for people to understand a bit more about it themselves can be really helpful. Um, I right. think people can be more compassionate towards themselves if they see that what they're doing is is following a biological program um, which has been transmitted through to them through intergenerational transmission. Mm. I think it also makes it easier for clinicians to be more sympathetic to people for example when i learned about fast life history and how how it is adaptive in a harsh environment to speed up reproduction and Mm -hmm. it, it made me look at teenage pregnancy in a completely different light right so and, and then your question um, around public health, yes, of course, we need much better public health. We need more resources for um, pregnant women, for, for people with young children, um, because we also know from anthropological research where children are getting indulgent care, that half of that care is provided by other mothers, so yeah. not the mother herself. So it is expecting too much of nuclear families to be providing good care for their children all the time
1: Mm. right they have yeah mothers are just kind of left on their own too and and, Mm. and obviously they have many less resources available to them so then yeah that that would obviously explain part of why this this sort of these negative feelings towards the child and perhaps like abuse and neglect follow. And yeah, that that could be something that we can really intervene in. Um, And yeah, I totally agree. You know, all of these things are evolution, explains everything to some extent, and it will give us some kind of uh, direction in, in in many ways. Um, So yeah, I'm sure people listening to this have kind of experienced this or can kind of recognize some of this in their own lives or know people who've been affected by this. And um, thank you for writing the chapter. It's really interesting and very important topic. And I hope that uh, the evolutionary perspective kind of, you know, is, is recognised more widely because of it.
0: Thank you, Adam, and thank you to my co-authors as well.
1: Thanks.